I came out to Utah under false pretenses. I thought I was joining this big stable group. And the day after I got here, mind you, I had sold my house and like rearranged my life to be here. I got out here and he said, oh, um, the other, everyone else in the group left, it's just me and you. And I was like, what? (laughs) And he said, don't worry. These clients have been my clients for like 25 years. They're super loyal. The guys that left aren't gonna have anything and it's actually gonna work out way better for you. You're gonna be so flush with like lucrative clients. You're not gonna know what to do with yourself. And I was like, well, it's not like I have a choice. I kind of sold my house and I'm kind of here. <laughs> so anyways, that ended up being completely and utterly false. Um, the clients all went with the other four guys and I was left with practically nothing. Hey, Founders Pod listeners. On the show today, how a decision to leave a stable job, sell his home and move his family to another state didn't lead to immediate entrepreneurial success for Steve Hatch. In fact, it led to feelings of betrayal, a lawsuit, and ultimately, a real soul-searching opportunity. Listen to Steve's story to find out how he overcame all that to build his successful business, Ivory Anesthesia, today on The Founders Pod. The Founders Podcast. Listen to the stories of how everyday extraordinary people start amazing businesses. Hear how they overcome the odds and find success in the entrepreneurial world. The up and down, the good and the bad, and everything in between. And now, your hosts, Jordan Hansen and Brandon Minard. Okay, hello and welcome everybody to this week's edition of the Founders Pod. Happy that you guys are with us today, joining us. Excited to bring this week's guest, somebody I've known for a while. But first, my name is Brandon Minard, here with my co-host Jordan Hansen and Matt Lamb. Gentlemen, how are you? Good. Hello. I'm doing great. Good to be here. Happy to see your smiling faces, broadcasting remotely again. Um, This episode brought to you by one of our main sponsors. Yeah. Uh, somebody we've had for a few weeks. Happy to do that. Matt, will you read it in? Yeah. Today's sponsor uh, provided or coming to you from Infinity Pools. Are you looking for a high-end pool builder for your residential or commercial property? Look no further. Infinity Pools specializes in creating custom luxury pools that are not only beautiful, but also built to last. From initial design to final construction, Our team of experts will work with you every step of the way to bring your pool to life. With a wide range of options and features to choose from, we guarantee that you'll love your new pool. Contact us today to schedule a consultation and start building your dream pool. Uh, You can find Infinity Pools online at www.infinitypooldesign.com. They are currently servicing Sun Valley, Idaho, Jackson, Wyoming, and all of Utah. Give them a follow on Instagram and TikTok uh, at Infinity Pool Design is where you can find them on those social media platforms. 
Again, their website is www.infinitypooldesign.com. Perfect. Yeah, that's a guarantee you can trust. Yeah. You know what I mean? They do awesome I mean, stuff. They do a great job. I mean, you can you could take a box and you could put something in that box and put a guarantee on it. <laughs> right? Like but a that's not pool? infinity pools. Yeah, <laughs> that's not infinity pools. All right, cool. So this week's guest, excited, like I said, to bring to you somebody that I've known for a while. Uh, anxious to hear his story and what he's gone through. I've I've talked to him a number of times and uh, excited to kind of go over his story again. Owner of Ivory Anesthesia, based out of Utah. His name, Steve Hatch. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah. No, Steve's a great guy. Uh, interesting story about Steve, if I could. Um, somebody that may know me possibly knows that I'm fairly weak when it comes to being sick and uh, fairly dramatic when it comes to being sick. And one specific night, my wife was like, I was throwing up, okay? Like like any man does where they're throwing up, basically yeah. wanted to end my life, okay? I was basically <laughs> done with it. And I'd been like on, uh, I'd been in a rough patch for like a couple hours, couldn't stop throwing up. And I told my wife, it was about one in the morning. I was like, I need to go to the ER. I can't stop. I'm going to die. Get my will. Call my attorney. All that stuff. It's over. Anyway, so I'm basically, I'm ready to just pass on to the next life. And my wife calls Steve, who was our neighbor five or six years ago, and says, hey, do you mind coming over to, you know, watch the kids for a few hours while they're sleeping or just hang out? So... Steve walks over and walks in and I'm crawling on hands and knees trying to get down the stairs. And Steve's like, wow, this is kind this is... of a pathetic sight. Like, <laughs> like this is really one of the more pathetic sights I've ever seen in my life. And I looked up at him and I was like, this is the end. Like this is basically <laughs> the end. <laughs> I didn't so, actually say that you looked pathetic, but my face yeah. must have said it. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember the, yeah. And we both thought it, I mean, we yeah. both thought the exact same thing. <laughs> anyway yeah so steve somebody i've known for a while but steve uh, to get started if you can introduce what you do and the company you started what ivory anesthesia does where you guys are located some of your basic services and we can go from there yeah you bet well ivory anesthesia is a little bit of a departure from your i guess traditional anesthesia group in the sense that we don't work in hospitals. We don't even work in surgical centers. Uh, we just specialize in what we call in-office anesthesia, which means we bring the operating room into the office. So we've done it mostly for dentists, probably 98% of what we've done is for dentists, but we're expanding beyond that. Um, with, with dentists, we, you know, there's lots of little three, four or five and six year old kids that maybe for whatever reason have just a mouthful of cavities. They're never going to sit there for three hours of work. And so that's where we step in. We're able to do good anesthesia for these kids. So the dentists can do rock star dental work on their teeth. Um, but we also done a few other things. We've done the same thing for some plastic surgeons, um, done a little bit of podiatry and um, even done an eye surgeon. So we're starting to expand to some other um, other avenues, but it's a it's a nice option. 
most people don't know the ins and outs of finances when it comes to hospitals, but just to step foot in an OR, there's what's called the facility fee. And it ranges anywhere from the 5000 to, heaven forbid, $100,000 range. And that's just to set foot in the hospital. So for people that don't have insurance um, or their insurance isn't very good or they've got a high deductible, this is an amazing option for them. So, and especially for dental work where, you know, they're just getting a few cavities filled or something like that. Um, you know, our bill is just a fraction of what someone, especially without insurance, would pay for those services. So that's kind of the niche that we fill and that's kind of what we currently do. Now, I uh, see, I'm curious. I hadn't, I didn't knew nothing about this. I didn't know this existed. Yeah. So this is really fascinating. Um, yeah. Now, what does the dentist do now, right? They have, they do it. They have some kind of anesthesia. When do they need you? What pushes them into the, okay, we need the big guy now. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question, Jordan. So you're right. There is a lot of crossover there when it comes to anesthesia. In fact, a lot of dentists were even trained with what we call IV sedation, where they're starting an IV and pushing certain drugs. So typically we step in in a few different scenarios. One, the dentist has gone to the max of what their license will allow. So maybe they've tried oral sedation and that's the, the highest level that their training allows. And the oral sedation just didn't work to the level that they needed to to get the dental work done. Then we'll step in and do something a little bit heavier. The Wait, other thing- Oral sedation, uh, is that pills you take or is that just like a sorry, breathing? Thank you, yes. Yeah, oral sedation meaning like something they take orally like a liquid or a pill. Yep, you yeah. got it. Yeah, so they try that out. It's just not enough, and so then they'll 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 call us, and we'll do something heavier. The other thing that's happening that's um, more of a, a more recent trend is that the safety of and this is somewhat controversial, but the safety of a dentist doing anesthesia while they're also doing the dentistry um, has come into question. There's no other surgeon that does that, you know, if you go in and have your appendix out, your surgeon doesn't do the anesthesia and take your appendix out. And so there's been this call for higher safety by bringing in anesthesia providers to do that rather than the dentist trying to ride both ponies at the same time. Good question, Jordan. I know. So my brother's a dentist and yeah. sometimes he'll, he works with anesthesiologists or, or different, you know, experience. And he, and he'll say stories like, well, this patient had a difficult time coming out and it would just scare me to death. If you're a dentist and you're focused on cavities and fillings and whatever, thinking about the the safety of a child or an older person or anybody that may have, you know, not knowing the full story and how to deal with that would just scare me more than anything. And so, yeah, that makes sense to me. Plus, I love the fact that I can make a choice on pain uh, a provider in their location, the amount of money that like, I'm sure you'll tell me the amount of money you're going to charge me versus walking into an OR thinking yeah. I could pay $20,000. And, you know, I love that aspect of it. Yeah, that's exactly it. And a lot of times, I mean, most of the time hospitals and uh, medicine in particular, they just don't do a great job of explaining how much you're going to pay up front, right? And if you want that, you kind of have to hop through some additional hoops to kind of get that estimate. With us, it's super clear cut. You know, everybody knows beforehand exactly what they're going to pay. So yeah, 
Steve, is this three a, of us. Sorry, Matt. Yeah. Go ahead. Is is this a new concept? Is this something that you've started, or is it has it been around? No, I wish I could say I'm the pioneer. No, I'm not the OG. No, not not. not but it's it is it is relatively new. Okay. Um, and I would say it's getting more and more popular all the time. But um, no, not brand new. It's probably been done for 20 years, but it's probably only been popular for the last five, maybe. That's those are both estimates, but yeah. Yeah. I was saying like all three of us are self-pay. So we appreciate yeah. people like you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. And and mainly in the Utah area. Yeah, right now that's all that's all that we're focused on. Although uh, you know, the, the plan was to get down the model and, and the business here and then maybe expand to some other markets uh, later on. But at this point, we've dabbled a little bit in Idaho and that's it. Um, mostly just Utah. Yeah. In Idaho, we just have to like grin and bear the pain of dental care. Right? <laughs> that's right. We're tough. <laughs> We're tough up here. <laughs> yeah. We just have to pull it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cool. So let's go back. And, and that's an incredible business, oper- you know, proposition that you have going back. You're from Utah originally. Originally. Yeah. Yeah. Born and raised in what city there? Bountiful. Bountiful. Gotcha. And then so describe your upbringing as far as a lot of siblings, a few siblings, what your parents do. I mean, take us back to your your youth. Yeah, so I've got three siblings, one brother, uh, two sisters. Um, parents are educated. Dad's uh, he's an attorney, and he's got his MBA. Both. Um, he he worked in he did some corporate law stuff where he was doing uh, working with insurance companies for a long time. Partner in a firm, absolutely hated that, and then started his own thing. Um, just a little law firm where he mostly just played golf and did a <laughs> little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, law on the side. And then my mom was a, a teacher. Uh, she's a mostly first grade teacher. Yeah. So she taught me how to read when I was just little guy. She like wouldn't let me go play until I read ever. She was, oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. And so, so going up. Yeah, go ahead. Were you were you a part of your dad's firm at any point? Did you go in and do filings or caddy for him? I mean, how did that? What was that experience like? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely played caddy. I've only beat him once, and he's like seventy seven now. But that's that doesn't necessarily explain how good he is. Just how bad I am. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon's played with me. He knows. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. You know, my dad is from Idaho, and uh, as you uh, alluded to, he had a little bit of that, uh, you know, grew up picking potatoes and riding horses mentality. So he was he was cracking the whip mostly in the backyard with the garden. You know, I was uh, weeding and, and uh, planting and harvesting and all that good stuff. He like That's where he wanted me most of the time. But I remember when... Uh, it came time for me to decide what I was going to do. He's like, aren't you going to be an attorney and take over my firm? And I was like, well, all I've heard you do is complain about it for the last 20 years. So <laughs> not convinced. <laughs> so no, I never really did anything in this firm. 
But you kind of skipped. That was like perfect. We always ask that question, like, "Oh, does your dad? Did your parents want you to take over?" You just like went right there. Yeah, yeah. And he he tried to say, "Oh, it wasn't as bad as I made it sound." I think I was just getting stuff off my chest when I'd come home, and I'd be like, "Yeah, too late." <laughs> <laughs> did you know? I mean, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do, or were you motivated at all to think about future careers growing up? Well, you know. The, the odd thing is my parents are both really well educated, but they, other than like my mom was really intent on teaching me how to read, but, um, you know, they didn't give me a ton of direction when it came to like college and those things. I remember taking the ACT and not knowing what it was for. I, <laughs> I stayed up to like one the night before and my parents were like, Oh, you got to go take this test. And I took it and I didn't even know that it was a college entrance exam. Maybe they said it and I didn't listen, you know? <laughs> but yeah, kind of interesting. No, they didn't. Uh, they really, they kind of had, they were more free bird style when it came to uh, teenagers. They really didn't like force me or direct me. They were like snowboarding. Cool. Soccer. Great school. If you don't want to, that's fine. You know? So yeah, kind of a different parenting style for two well-educated people, but yeah. did, you, did it work for you? Well, yeah, I would say so. I, I think it allowed me to be a bit of a free thinker. Maybe, um, you know, I, I didn't have very good grades in high school <laughs> and uh, I think there was some remediation when I decided to go to college, but I don't think, I don't think there's a, a chance that I would be an entrepreneur if it wasn't for more of that free bird attitude, honestly. Um, so I guess I owe them that part of it. So where do you fall in line as far as oldest to youngest with your siblings? Mm, I am third of four. Okay. So, uh, your, your siblings, you know, growing up, did you look up to them? I mean, did they, uh, did they go in the field that you're in now or kind of what influence did they have on you with your path in life? Yeah. So I told you about the Freebird stuff. My, my older brother, um, he was even more free bird than me. He didn't graduate from high school. He was, um, really a genius when it came to computers. Um, you may or may not want this part on the podcast. I'm okay with it. He's actually deceased as of last year. But um, when he was like a late teenager, he figured out when the internet was just in its infancy, he figured out how to order drugs from Europe and started distributing them in high school. Oh, gosh. Buco bucks. <laughs> mm. wow. Doing that. Like, like prescription drugs or what type of, I mean, illicit drugs? He was mostly doing mushrooms and marijuana. Yeah. Okay. But long story short, he figured he figured out that probably wasn't the best life to lead. And he uh, applied his skills at eBay and um, they kind of kept promoting him and saying after the fact, oh, you should probably get your high school diploma. OK, we'll promote you again. You probably should go get your college degree. Oh, we'll promote you again. You should probably get your MBA. But he ended up being a, a director for for eBay and doing really well for them, but kind of a, again, a kind of a non-traditional path, but he ended up being pretty successful with it all. And then my sister, my sister, uh, older sister was kind of a, a deviant maybe from the rest of us. She was 4.0 Sterling scholar. Um, Classic you know, she deviant. Was, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Just miscre- miscreant, really. That's right. Menace. Menace to society. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But she uh, she just became a PA, and now she's a, a stay-at-home mom. And then um, my little sister's doing well. She got her nursing degree, and she um, she does finances. She's like a nursing finance director for a national nursing home company. So Wait, yeah. something... Uh, the last three of you are all in healthcare and your parents aren't. So was it the older sister that did it or what? I mean, you think just randomly you all happen to choose healthcare? Dude, I'm not sure, Jordan. You know, when I was in, when I was in college, I just tried to figure out what I was like attracted to and interested in as far as just studying went. And I just found um, medicine just fascinating and just those science cultures course is fascinating so i can't really say what it was for the rest of them but maybe maybe it was subliminal like oh my sister's this 4.0 goddess maybe if i did some medical stuff it would make me closer to that (laughs) i don't know and you can argue with the drug purchases that that has medicinal (laughs) qualities so everybody everybody was in the I think my brother did argue that more than once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a sales pitch at least. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what led you, you know, graduating high school, what led you into the career choice that you ended up pursuing? Yeah. So um, that's a good, good question. Um, I actually was, I, I think I've always had an entrepreneurial itch. Um and uh, initially, I was pre-dental. I thought I would be a, a dentist, and I became a dental assistant, and my back was hurting. And an uh, orthopedic surgeon did an MRI on my back because I was, like, in my mid-20s. My back was hurting as a dental assistant, and he looked at my MRI and said, oh, dude, you can't, you can't be a surgeon. You can't be a dentist. Like, anything where you're going to have to put your back in, like, one position and hold it there um no bueno so he said i had what's called advanced degenerative disc disease anyways he he was a little bit confused about why i had it but that was the end result and so i was like well i guess i'm not doing dentistry so then i looked for for something else and kind of thought i threw away the idea of uh entrepreneurship for a while because doing anesthesia when i went into it i was like well nobody nobody actually really has their own business in anesthesia. Maybe a few of the big dogs that have a ton of hospital contracts, but like, how do you in the world do you do that? So anyways, um, I thought I was just uh, done with that idea or maybe thought I would do something on the side, but was just like, I'll just be a job guy. I'll have a job. But it just that, and Brandon was actually there for part of this, you know, where I was kind of going through that transition of like, Oh, maybe I want to do something, but this sounds so crazy. And it was funny talking to people because some people were like, yeah, don't do that. That's a terrible idea. And Brandon was like, oh, you can do this and you can do it better than anybody else can. And I was like, really? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> He's like, yeah, man. Yeah, do it. I was like, okay. So that's why I'm here. Brandon peer pressured me into it. Yeah, yeah there I you go. go. <laughs> <laughs> Now he's on government assistance and he's living paycheck to this kid. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe talk to, so talk to us about you, you had to, you did your undergrad and then did you have to go to any additional schooling for, uh, your, your certification is nurse anesthesiology. Is that correct? 
Yeah, you got it. Yep. So you get an undergrad degree and then you go to it. You have to be a nurse for a couple of years in specific settings. So I did ICU and life flight for a couple of years and then uh, graduate school for three years after that. Yep. Hey, Steve, I actually want to tell a little bit of a story about you and your wife on graduate sure. school. So oh. this was actually fascinating to me because we were we were over at his house and Steve's like he pulled out this certificate and he's like, Hey, I'm a landowner in Texas. I was like, Wait, what? <laughs> and he owns like, I don't know, a small plot of land in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And I said, Why why? And he's like, For twenty five bucks, I bought this in case we chose to go to Texas for graduate school, we could pay residency rates and not you know, non-resident rates. And he's like, so I bought $25 worth of land. I paid taxes on it. And then we were thinking about going to graduate school in Texas. Uh, I don't know. I, I forget where you ended up going, but I thought, wow, that's like so fascinating that you guys had the foresight to do that a year or two in advance. How much is that land worth now? Oh yeah. I still own that plot. You yeah. Betcha. <laughs> yeah. How big is I it? Joke, I joke with Tanya that that's where we should put our uh, burial sites. But oh, it's it's not very big. It's right next to the border, and I think it's like a hundred feet by sixty feet or something like that. <laughs> Literally bought it on eBay, so I may or might not own that land. No, I do. I actually can. <laughs> they they hit me up for taxes every year. Maybe it's the same people that sold me the land that are hitting Could me be. up for taxes. Yeah, exactly. Like, Have you ever seen it? revenue here? Have you ever been to it? Have you ever been to it? <laughs> Uh, just by Google Earth. No, <laughs> I don't even think there's a road to it, Brandon. I think. Yeah. Uh, OK. I think you'd have to buggy in. That's funny. Yeah. I thought that was a fascinating way. So, you know, for all of our viewers looking to go into graduate school, potentially buy land early on on eBay. Potentially. <laughs> on We're eBay. Not Wait, that. <laughs> this would work. Yeah, you just give them like the, the like the title, like you show the title and that counts. You're a resident. I mean, there's no property on there. That would work. Yeah. Really? Um, yeah, that was my understanding. If you were a property owner in Texas and yeah, maybe I, I could have been wrong, but I didn't actually end up going to school in Texas. So it doesn't, I never found out for sure. I like that but, though. It's kind of, but in the end it's been worth it. Yeah. You got yeah. that. It's cool. It's worth it. Yeah. Well, you're, you're always like a, a Texas, Texas guy. Land baron. <laughs> exactly. Baron. Imagine if they find oil in that little tiny spot. Upset. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. So then uh, you go to graduate school. Uh, did you have a specific company in mind that you wanted to work for coming out? Or what was your what was your plans? Yeah, so I worked in kind of just went to the highest bidder out of training to pay off some debt. So I worked in a hospital in Iowa for a while. And um, that was a great experience. Um, yeah, we were all, it's for nurse, nurse anesthesiology. Some states you're independent, some that you're not. And so Iowa, we were independent. So we worked in a hospital that um, all of us were independent. So that was, that was really fun and very cool. Some interesting experiences there. Um, and then, um, so mostly just went there just because they paid so much, frankly, <laughs> training. And it was the right experience that I wanted. And then after paying off debts that we were like, where do we want to live? We definitely want to live on Brandon Minert Street. And yep. so we yeah. built a house next to Brandon Minert. And uh, 
didn't regret it one bit. Yeah, right. I'm sure you even though you had to see him throwing up, crawling on the floor. (laughs) I mean, that was after you saw that. So (laughs) yeah, Yeah. you would change the decision. Yeah, that there were some tinges of regret there, and I mostly (laughs) saw regret in the eyes of his wife, not so much for me during that experience. And the thing about it is, Steve, he was a nurse at like Lifelight, and and I was the most pathetic sight he's ever seen. That's actually saying something. <laughs> saying you know, something. Are, Be proud, Brandon. Be proud. Exactly. I walked in and just stamped it with, this is not an emergency. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. You are fine. <laughs> and and so the the company, when you moved to Idaho from Iowa, the company, was it a was it a hospital or was it a group? What was the setup that you had there? Yeah, hospital group. A um, little bit different makeup there. In in Iowa, we had um, all just nurse anesthesiologists. In Idaho, we're still independent, but they had both physician and nurse working together on the same team. And there, the contract and the owners were physicians, and so um, I wasn't really an equal there. I was a here and they were there kind of position, and maybe that played into a little bit of my hunger for wanting to be here, not there. <laughs> yeah. Cause if, from what I understood, the, the anesthesiologist, the PhDs were running the business and then yeah. they had the nurse anesthesiologist do a lot of the day-to-day work or the tasks work. Is that we, right? We had similar, we had similar job duties. It was more just about who made the money. Right. So we really pretty much shared the workload roughly roughly equally. Um, it didn't start out that way, but I, I went there initially with a promise that I wouldn't have to do any uh, call, meaning uh, after hours work, weekends, nights, and then they switched all that, but didn't increase our pay. <laughs> so I wasn't super excited about that. So that might have played into for, to my distaste for being an employee it was just like, oh, looks like they can do whatever they want to you. And you can either say, no, or I'm quitting. So that wasn't very palatable. In fact, Brandon, I think I told you about that drama when I was going through it and uh, you were always good listening ear. Well, yeah, I mean, tell us a little bit about that experience. What would you end up going through? Well, I mean, it was just that. Um, it was interesting because we even had a contract that said, you know, no nights, no weekends, no call. And uh, so the pay wasn't particularly good, but I was cool with that. I'd made a lot of money in Iowa and uh, this was just supposed to be more of just like the job I have while my kids are growing up and it's Monday through Friday and it's really regular and easy. And so um, it was really disheartening when they just switched it up and, you know, I was left with like, well, what do I do? Do I fight these guys with attorneys, which is going to cost who knows how much and make everybody's lives miserable or do I just move on? And if I move on, what does that look like? Do I just become an employee to somebody else who can do that to me again? Or do I maybe try to do something else where I kind of make this pact with myself that I'm never going to be that kind of employer to other people? And uh, so that was kind of the, in a nutshell, the swirling thoughts that I had over the, the next six months. I actually went to him um, during that time. Brandon had me read a, a great book. Uh, how to win friends and influence others. And I was like, okay, armed with this knowledge of like how to influence others, I'm going to go to them and kind of talk to them how, about how this wasn't fair. And they actually received it really, really well. And we're super, um, I guess, uh, 
leaning towards making some changes. But through that whole process, I think I decided it didn't matter anyways. <laughs> I, was, I was out of there. So anyways, yeah, but I think that's kind of what led me a bit to just be like, okay, I think it's time to scratch that entrepreneurial itch and uh, go for it. Okay. I want to step back just a second, Steve, just so I want to get, I'm really excited about the story because nurse anesthetist, this is someone that like you said, the, the, I always thought this would be someone that would work in the hospital, an employee. How would you do entrepreneurial stuff? So I'm really excited to hear that, but yeah. can you give me like, not yours specifically, but let's say someone graduated right now as a nurse anesthetist, what would like a, a salary range be? Cause everyone thinks yeah. medical feels like, it always feels like, Oh, it's a lot of money. That's what it feels like. Well, I want, is, can you share a range, not yours specifically, but you know, where someone could sure. expect. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the range, it kind of depends on where you are, but I think nationwide, like the low end is maybe 150 K and the high end is, I, I looked on the job board cause I, I have to hire and kind of make sure my salaries are close to others, but definitely not in Utah. There's some places you can go in the middle of nowhere and maybe make 500, maybe 600,000 doing it. Wow. So probably that's, working like, that's a lot. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. You're probably working like a dog and living like in the middle of nowhere, you know? sure. but yeah, I think that's kind of the high end. But I would say the salary ranges are good. They're good salary ranges. Yeah. And the average is probably 225, probably a good okay. Yeah. I see. Now, when you said you were over at this place, and you were making, you said the pay wasn't really great. Does that mean you were at the lower end of that range? I don't want to know specifically, but I'm just trying to put in contrast. Like yeah. you were oh, for sure. Yeah, okay. definitely hugging the lower end of that range for sure. Got it. Got it. And I was cool with that because it was like, right. It's a good living and you're, it's, it has a lifestyle you want. Yeah. So, and, and I think it's important as well because as listeners hear this and they think, okay, this is what he's giving up, which is, I think a lot of people would be really happy to have 150 their whole life. Or sure. whatever that you know that that would be a very comfortable lifestyle for a lot of people, um, especially you know in Idaho, Utah area. So you're here, you have to make this decision now, and it kind of like because you went through this and had this thought process. It sounds like you're already at the place where you're like, okay, I'm ready to. It doesn't matter what you decide now. I'm already kind of. I've already made up my mind. I'm going somewhere. Sure. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. So how did you hear about this idea? Well, yeah, that's a good question. You know, the first time I heard about it was actually when I was interested in dentistry. I asked this dentist once, like, hey, he was actually a specialist. He was what's called a periodontist and uh, probably making a good salary and stuff. And I, I asked him, I was like, if you could go back, would you do this again? He's like, no, I'd go back and do anesthesia. I was like, all right. So that was the first time. And then I asked him, I was like, like anesthesia like in a hospital. And he was like, no, I think I would like do anesthesia in a dental office. And I remember at the time being like, does anybody do that? I thought that I didn't, I didn't really think he knew what he was <laughs> talking about. But anyway, so that was the first time I heard it. I was probably in my mid twenties, honestly didn't really like circle back to that thought until this opportunity, I guess, presented itself, I guess an opportunity of thought, like, Oh, what am I going to do next? And uh, I reached out to a guy who was doing it in Utah and uh, asked him if uh, I could just chat with him. And he was like, I'm actually going to be in Idaho if you want to go out to eat. So we went out to eat and he just kind of told me about his business. 
And I was planning on getting it going in, in Idaho. And he said, Hey, you want to, you want to be a partner um, in our group out here in Utah? And I was like, Oh, well, that sounds maybe easier. And I was like, equity in the business and all those questions. And anyways, you know, buy-in after a while, I'd get some equity and it sounded great. Um, so that's actually what I thought I was coming to do was kind of uh, entrepreneurial light, kind of buying into a group that was already doing it. Um, but little did I know that group was having major internal turmoil and it was kind of blowing up behind the scenes while he was hiring me, his current group um, was blowing up. And so I came out to Utah under false pretenses. I thought I was joining this big stable group. And the day after I got here, mind you, I had sold my house and like rearranged my life to be here. I got out here and he said, oh, um, the other, everyone else in the group left, it's just me and you. And I was like, what? (laughs) And he said, don't worry. These clients have been my clients for like 25 years. They're super loyal. The guys that left aren't going to have anything. And it's actually going to work out way better for you. You're going to be so flush with like lucrative clients. You're not going to know what to do with yourself. And I was like, well, it's not like I have a choice. I kind of sold my house and I'm kind of (laughs) here. So anyways, that ended up being completely and utterly false. Um, The clients all went with the other four guys and I was left with practically nothing. Uh. And so um, I, at that point, it was kind of uh, a little bit of uh, just make it or break it. Um, I went, I just went and knocked on Dennis doors and uh, recruited a whole bunch of clients and me and this this guy got a, a contract and uh, me and this owner of this anesthesia group got a contract and it had some particular rights in it. Like uh, if I recruit an office, I could work there. And I get this a, is that original guy that recruited you, that guy? Yeah, the original. You continued working with him. Yep, yep, yep. Which probably was a mistake. I probably should have just cut ties, but honestly, I didn't, I wasn't sure. I considered mm-hmm. it, but I was like, I don't, I don't know even where to start with this. So I started with him and uh, long story short, um, my work started to eclipse his by quite a bit. I was pretty successful in recruiting Dennis and making relationships and uh, within like eight months, it was pretty clear that I was killing it and he was doing meh. And so he attempted to terminate me and uh, take that business and then uh, sell it to his nephew. And we're still not <laughs> sure on <laughs> we're still not sure on this part, but I'm pretty sure he sold the company because he had we had already signed a contract. I was under contract to buy the company from him. He was an older guy in his 60s, so I was already under contract to buy the company from him. We're pretty sure that he double sold the company. That he also oh. made a contract to sell it to his nephew. We never got that totally figured out, but when we started pressing that way, when in our uh, lawsuit with him. Uh, he settled really, really fast. Wow! So, so, and his, and his nephew did end up taking the company. Um, but long story short, I got to leave pretty, uh, pretty quick. The lawsuit was only three months. 
And I was able to leave with everything that I had recruited. And uh, ever since then, I've just been kind of off on my own, doing my own thing. So kind of a tumultuous year, but um, it ended up being a pretty big uh, boon and blessing for me. So can't say I... You're married, right, Steve? Is that right? Are you a family? Yeah, married and four kids. Okay, so you're going through this. You sell your house. You move down to Utah. What's that conversation like with your wife saying, look, this isn't what we thought? Yeah, I know, Matt. It was not a it was not a fun conversation. My wife is awesome. Brandon knows her. She's in it for the long haul and she's she's a tough cookie. Um, so, we, you know, we weighed our options because we could have just left again. And I considered it like, let's just go move somewhere else. and We'll get a job somewhere. and It'll be fine. But I, at that point, I was so excited to give it a go that I just asked her, like, do you mind if I just give it a whirl and see what happens for a few months? And luckily, it wasn't um, too crazy. She had her requirements, like, that's fine. Can we buy a house right now? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, sure. We made a little money on our house in Idaho, and we had a bunch of money saved. And so, so we bought a house. But really, that was pretty much it. She just wanted to be in a different house before school started. But um, I think had she known that it would turn into a lawsuit, she probably wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, but it, it sounds like you were just gung ho about it. I mean, did you get very down or did you just not allow yourself to to be frustrated or? Well, yeah, I mean, certainly there were some moments um, throughout that whole process that were a little bit of a gut punch. Um, and even when, you know, the uh the guy that I was buying this practice from when he tried to terminate me um again I kind of considered like should we uh should we just fly the coop and go get a just a, another job and kind of give up on this whole entrepreneurial thing and honestly a bit of it was my wife she was like no like uh you kind of got to suck it up and be a man here and not let him do this <laughs> to you <laughs> and I was like okay agreed Um, but I mean, other than those, you know, short moments for the most part, what I found through this whole process was that I was loving it. I was loving being a business owner. I was loving entrepreneurship and like courting clients and uh, just creating business out of nothing. And I figured out I was pretty good at it. And so, um, I, I think more than anything, I, I just grew to have like a flavor in my mouth for it that I, was like, man, if I have to have another job, I'm just, it's not going to, I think I'll always wonder what if, you know, if I had just gone for it. But did you love like the sales side of it, like signing people up and getting those contracts or? um, Um, Surprisingly, yeah, I actually do like that. Um, It's more of a professional sales maybe than what, you know, I don't know. It's, It's definitely not telemarketer style. Usually if you show up and you, Say you're an anesthesia group and you'd like to talk to the dentist, they'll step out for a few minutes. <laughs> you know, there's a kind of a professional courtesy there. And uh, so it definitely isn't maybe like a lot of sales positions that you'd think you'd like, but I don't know. I can't say maybe that I love the long days where I had nothing to do and literally spent, you know, eight hours just going door to door. I'm not sure I love, love, love that, but I definitely love like meeting a client 
introducing him to what we could do, uh, working with him for the first time, winning him over, having them buy into it big time, and then having them become like a very uh, lucrative, stable, long-lasting relationship, and then usually friend too. And that that whole process is what's really satisfying. That's really fun. I got it. There, so there's so much to unpack in that story. There's a lot. <laughs> uh, did you ever find out why those original partners left? Yeah, yeah. Um, supposedly, uh, he had made a verbal contract, air quotes, with them to sell the company to them. And their buy-in period was over five years. They, The first guy had paid him about half a million bucks to buy in. The other guys were in that process. I think in total, they had probably paid him, I'm not really sure, million and a half, two million to buy in. And then he had gone through a nasty divorce. And so when it was time for that first guy to become partner, it was a five-year buy-in. Um, and he had paid him all that money. He balked and just said, oh, I went through a nasty divorce. You can't you can't be my partner. And the guy was like, well, I already paid to be your partner. <laughs> so yeah, he was like, well, I'm leaving then. And now I'm friends with those guys. And they were like, we knew that he was a bonehead and that all the clients were going to come with us. And so we we were being nice to him by wanting to stay his partner. We knew we could walk at any moment, but he was so close to retirement. We were just like, let's just finish this out the right way. And then they, they went around and around for months trying to get him to be reasonable and he just wouldn't. So they left um, and they're doing great. And that guy is now out of the business. He's not yeah. even doing it anymore, but yeah. So I always thought it was when you would tell me the story, I always thought it was, a bit of a red flag that the guy drove down to Idaho, went out to dinner and then just offered you a big part of the pie, even though he already had other partners. And I always thought that's so odd. Like he doesn't know you at all. He knows these other partners a lot. I just thought that was interesting part of the story. Yeah. So, um, you know, the themes that were in our neighborhood, Brandon. Yeah. He knew them and I was, uh, in the position with Dan theme at church and they are family. They're in-laws to each other. So that's what I thought was going on. I was like, Oh, Dan's just kind of giving me a big leg up, big thrown in a bone here for me. And so I was like, Oh, dream come true. Like somebody gets you uh, into a position that you couldn't get in on your own. So that's what I thought was going on. But I probably shouldn't have had on the blinders because, yeah, clearly that's not what was going on. <laughs> and but. then, so so, what's the biggest lesson you learned from that whole experience? I mean, you move down to a, a different location. You have this falling out with the guy. You have these different contracts. You're starting from scratch. When you look back, what's what are the main lessons? Oh, great question. Well... So Brandon, I mean, and I may have explained this to you on one of our phone, phone conversations that we had, but um, if I could choose to have my same business and not go through those experiences or have the same business just like it is and go through those experiences, I would absolutely go through them, every last one of them. Because I learned 
you know, when you go through medical training, you, you don't know anything about business. You know, the little bit I knew was just like, you know, little businesses that I had growing up and talking with friends and those, you know, mentors, but actual experience was none. And uh, I learned so many good lessons from in particular from that guy that kind of screwed me over um, that are just invaluable that I wouldn't trade for anything because when I started my own business, that was at the forefront of my mind. How can I not be that guy? And that completely shaped in a totally different way how I run my business and how I would have ran it without those experiences. And the truth be told, I think there, there's a, there's greed in all of us. And I think accidentally we can all be different varying degrees of that guy. And I think we all have to safeguard our morality and uh, do everything we can to not be that guy. I'm just grateful that I had that experience before ever even being a business owner to say, I'm never doing that. I'm never being that guy. And I'm never doing to anyone what he did to me. And I wouldn't trade that for the world. And so then I haven't seen him since our lawsuit was over. But if I see him and we actually get to have a conversation, I won't be that blunt, but I'll actually probably thank him and just say, hey, you know, I know things went south and, and things were kind of tough probably for both of us. But man, I learned a lot of good lessons and I really am appreciative for my time with you. And, and I can say that with a free conscience. That is absolutely true. Wow. Yeah. That's a, I mean, anytime you go through a lawsuit, that's super stressful. <laughs> I think for me, any, yeah, I, I've, I've been involved in tiny things and it's incredibly stressful. And so I know you can sometimes carry resentment <laughs> going through that and resentment yeah. having to go through the mire. And so that's impressive that you can come, came out the other side, not, you know, overly soured. Well, I wouldn't say there isn't any resentment still in there. It's yeah. still there. But I try to stuff it down and replace it with more positive. But you're not saying if I come across this guy, I'm going to punch him in the face, right? Mm -hmm. No, definitely not. Not on air. Not on air. Not recorded. (laughs) 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 So then, Steve, looking forward, what are your plans with Ivory Anesthesia? Do you want to grow it, take over the world, have your kids work with you? I mean, what are your plans there? Well, it's interesting. Um, we've, you know, we've had a lot of success. I feel like every year we kind of double what we're doing as far as just gross revenue and uh, net revenue as well, really. Um, and so for me, the challenge is just like, I'm not a business dude. I don't, I don't, I, sometimes I feel like I'm flailing in the wind when it comes to certain things like business operations, like I have no training there. Um, so I think in the short term, my plan is to stabilize what we've got and learn how to actually run a business. <laughs> and uh, once I figure that out, get the model down and feel like, okay, now I can go and replicate this. Then, uh, you know, that's a maybe five, three to five year plan is open up a second area. And then we'll see what happens from there. But that's kind of the three to five year stabilize what I've got, learn actually how to run a business, probably get some actual business coaching involved and um, 
you know, some consultants to step in and actually point out what I'm doing wrong. And then, uh, yeah, see if I can't get this thing to the point where I feel like I can replicate it. And who knows, maybe even franchise it, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Well, the, you got a lot of opportunities either way you go. Anytime you have a successful business, there's, you know, everybody would love to be a part of it. And so it's exciting that you are at the position where you can choose to, you know, control your own destiny that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a dream come true for me. Yeah. Um, I have some follow-up questions. If Jordan or Matt, you don't have any, um, you know, for me, looking back, you probably already answered one one of these. But is there anything along your entire career that you would, looking back, do differently? Hmm. There were times when I doubted myself more than I think I probably should have. Um, I, I think I already pointed this out. You know, Brandon, you were one of the few people that was like, I think I even told you about joining this guy in Utah, and you're like, you should just go do your own thing. And, uh, you know, if you want to go to Utah, do your own thing in Utah. And I remember just not having the confidence to just go do that. And um, I think if I could go back, I would just believe in myself more and just save myself maybe some of the heartache. Although I am grateful for those lessons and I'm glad that I went through them. Um, I still think there's I was selling myself short at times um, with just maybe some of the believing in yourself. Luckily, now that I've got a little bit of confidence behind me, I don't seem to struggle with that anymore. It's more of just like, where do I want to take this? But yeah, I would say to maybe young entrepreneurs, just believe that you can do it and try not to look back on that belief. Just there's no point in looking back on it, I think. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I think putting myself in your perspective, it's easy. A lot of people that are in a structure like a hospital where leads are fed to you, right? Patients walk in the door. Yeah. I think so many professionals that way are, are deathly afraid of, okay, well, where do I generate business and where do I, this structure is already set for me and I couldn't do it on my own. And so I understand the doubt, right? The system yeah, you're right. in, you, you never had to learn, you know, traditional sales, right? You never really had to yeah. get out and do door to door. And so the fear of that is pretty paralyzing. I'm sure. Yeah, no, you're right. It is a, this, what I'm doing is such a huge departure from what most people with my credentials do, you know, it's just so yeah. different. But. Yeah. And then the second question you answered a little bit as well, if you were going to counsel somebody that says, I want to follow Steve, I want to do what he did. And you had an hour to do that. What would you say? in addition to the have confidence and believe in yourself, right? <laughs> yeah. So somebody who's already doing anesthesia, who maybe wants to run their own business, maybe even do in office. Um, I mean, I think first I would just say, you know, go spend some time with some people that do it and just ask some good questions and find out just some of the basics about it. And uh, then just go for it because, I think there's a huge market for it that still is left fairly untapped um, that I'm looking forward to tapping into. And I, I think there's plenty to go around. Um, but yeah, I think I just encourage them like, do it, go for it, have fun, you know, and enjoy the ride. Yeah. Uh, good advice for sure. So Steve, great story. Awesome. Awesome to hear what you've gone through. Great to see how, what you've built. 
uh, the adversity you went through. It's, it, you know, it's always good to talk to you and hear what you've gone through the ups and downs. Uh, appreciate you joining us today. If you want to meet, if you want to learn more about Steve and his company, you can visit him on his website, Ivory Anesthesia, I-V-O-R-Y Anesthesia.com. Don't ask me to spell anesthesia. I couldn't do it off the top <laughs> of my head. Just Google that. You'll find him, Steve Hatch, in the, I think, Utah County area of Utah. Um, does a great job. Check him out and, and you can look at him on his website. Do you have any social media platforms you want to shout out, Steve? Um, no, I mean, I've just got a uh, Facebook Ivory okay. Anesthesia, I think it's the, all your, all your posts are people sleeping, right? Comfortably right. Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do minimal. Yeah. Medical is kind of funny that way. There's not a whole lot of that social media stuff going on, but I probably should do more of it. I probably well, you can find it more at ivory Appreciate you joining us today, Steve, and uh, wish you the best. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks, Steve. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Founders Podcast. Be sure to follow the host on Twitter. Search at Jord B. Hansen and at Brandon Minot to discuss more. Also, be sure to visit thefounderspod.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content.